Good morning, Damascus Road. Merry Christmas. Glad to have you guys with us this morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and today uh, we are finishing the series that we've been doing uh, for Advent that we've called Give. And during the series, we have learned how God has given to us generously, how he's given to us intentionally, how he's given to us volitionally, which is just a fancy word that means he volunteered uh, to, to give to us. And today uh, we are going to learn about how God gives enthusiastically. And where we've spent time each week kind of talking about concepts like stewardship and intentionality uh, and, and generosity and, and vol- volitionally and things like that, where we kind of need some explanation. When it comes to enthusiasm, we usually don't need much of an explanation for that, right? Because when something is awesome to us and we think it's, it's uh, worthy of, of value, uh, we, we get excited, and it doesn't usually take us a lot of prompting or, or, or theological study to understand what it means to, to, to be enthusiastic about something. And so this morning, as we get started, I want you to kind of think about when you were a kid, or if you're a kid now, what was that one gift you got on Christmas morning, assuming you got gifts on, on Christmas morning, what was that one gift that you just couldn't wait to tell your neighbors about? Or you couldn't wait to get off Christmas break and tell all your classmates about that one gift that you got that just got you so excited you couldn't help but share the news of receiving that gift. For me, it was uh, Christmas 1987. So go back 25 years and think about how awesome things were back in, in 1987. Um, and uh, my parents were one of the first parents in our entire town to give their kids a Nintendo and that was me. I was kind of excited about it. But um, the, the, the newspaper thought it was such a big deal that they actually did an article and took a picture of me and my sister playing Super Mario Brothers because this awesome technology has come to Vancouver, Washington. And, and so it was kind of a big deal in our town. We have not been cutting edge on technology since. I don't even know if my parents had a microwave yet, uh, but we had a Nintendo. So it was, uh, like I said, for them, a big deal. It was a very big, generous gift. But to be honest... When I opened up that present, I wasn't excited at all. I'm like, I didn't even know what it was. I certainly didn't rejoice in their enthusiastic giving. And they had to have been a little disappointed. And the reason I wasn't excited about it is because I didn't even know what it was. To me, I'm like, cool, you got me a gray box. Like, what does this thing even do? And so they had, to, they had to actually explain it to me in kind of elementary terms. You're going to get to control what happens on the television. Oh, okay, that's, that's how I got pretty excited. Then they plugged it in and put a controller in my hand, and I got to play, and I had this transformational experience that allowed me to preach the good news of Nintendo to all around me. I was so excited. Uh, it was such a huge moment in my little life. Well, Fast forward, you know, obviously 25 years, and I don't tell anybody about my Nintendo. I still have it somewhere in a closet somewhere, but I'm not excited about it. I don't invite anybody on Facebook to come to my house and play Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, right? So it's just not a big deal to me anymore. I've kind of, to be honest, I've moved on, right, from Nintendo. Um, And so... Um, I may at some point dust it off and plug it in, if it can even plug into my TV now, um, for my kids, because I think it's important that, you know, they could, they could check it out. And they might think it's cool, but it, it won't compare to how much they love Angry Birds, right? So it's just going to be kind of this old, antiquated thing. 
And you're like, okay, well, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, I'll be honest. Sadly, I think this is really similar to how we interact with the traditional Christmas story. Right? It may have been something we heard when we were a kid, and it sounds kind of exciting. You know, virgin birth and all that. Jesus comes. We know we're supposed to be excited about it. Or, young or old, you may not know anything about Jesus or know this story at all. So when people say, you should be excited about Christmas, you're like, eh, just kind of a gray box. Not that cool. You certainly maybe haven't had a transformational experience of getting to meet the God who gives so enthusiastically and so generously. He gives his only son to the world. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. But again, we don't fully grasp it or, or think it's that important. And maybe we just tell our kids about it, but it's not something that's new and fresh to us. We've, we've moved on from Christmas. And so today, as we talk about God giving enthusiastically, we're going to do so in the framework of a very traditional, uh, Jesus-centered, Bible-centered telling of the Christmas story. Because uh, the reality is, I, I don't think um, that, uh, uh, that we can't assume it as a church. I mean, I, I get frustrated sometimes when I see ads from churches um, that I think kind of don't tell the gospel. And one of them was this church that said, Christmas is, and it had this awesome video, cool graphics and everything. And it literally said, Christmas is indoor ice skating, and it's uh, uh, inflatables in a room with artificial snow, and a show with singers and dancers and aerial acrobats, and we're going to sing some songs. And then it said, Christmas is fun, family, and festive. And I was like, okay, hey, I am not a, a no-fun fundamentalist, right? But I, I don't want to take the fun out of Christmas. But if you don't have angels, if you don't have Mary and Joseph or wise men or shepherds, and you certainly don't have Jesus, then that's not Christmas, okay? Now, I get that when you watch a Hallmark movie or you are at a store not talking about Christmas, but in the church, we have a responsibility to remind ourselves, to revisit, and hold up the essential events of the good news of the gospel to the world around us and, and, and to ourselves. Because if we, if we just kind of let this story be assumed and put it up on the shelf, it, it leads to just really weird places where you stop even talking about the facts of the gospel. I, I saw another church that on Easter preached a whole sermon about the Titanic. And I was like, the Titanic is at the bottom of an ocean and is buried. And the only good news that happened was at the end of Titanic, Leo dies right? There's no good news there, right? That is, that is not the gospel, right? The Titanic, dead and buried. Jesus Christ is alive and the tomb is empty. That is good news. So today, like I said, we're going to, um, we're going to talk about God as an enthusiastic giver. And so we're going to start this Christmas story where the Bible begins. Okay, the Bible begins with God as an enthusiastic and dramatic and creative creator who creates everything. And in doing so, he doesn't make it boring or bland. He's excited about it because he makes things like sunsets beautiful. And he makes creation around us beautiful. He makes food taste good. He makes intimacy with each other feel good. That's God's idea. And so when Adam receives one of the first gifts any man's ever received, he receives a bride. Adam's response is to rejoice. And he sings a song. He loves the fact that God gave enthusiastically and he rejoices. But then there's sin. And where man's and humanity's response to God and his enthusiastic giving should be to rejoice, Adam and Eve choose to reject God's gift of abundant life with him. And yet, 
God's enthusiasm for his people hasn't changed. It didn't change. He rightly and justly kicks them out of the garden and says, okay, you've sinned, you've rebelled against me, you've rejected me, I'm now rejecting you. And yet he still loves them enough to, to, to make a promise with a man and, and, and through his family that becomes a nation that he says will bless the entire world. The nation becomes Israel and those people become enslaved in Egypt. And God's, again, his enthusiasm for them doesn't diminish. He actually delivers them from slavery. And he doesn't do so by just zapping them from Israel to the promised land. He does it, again, enthusiastically and with drama. And he sends down frogs from heaven and turns um, uh, rivers into blood and, and does amazing, miraculous things. And he, he parts the Red Sea and then swallows up an entire army. And then he delivers them and gives them into the promised land after some, some time of wandering and gives them dramatic victories. But again, God's people respond to his enthusiastic giving by rejecting his instructions and his commands. And ultimately, they're unfaithful. They are scattered around the world, enslaved again. Things don't look good. It's not, there's no peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And yet God's enthusiasm for his people hasn't dimmed at all. And 700 years before that first Christmas, God sends a prophet named Isaiah to remind his people that salvation is coming. I'm still going to give. And so in Isaiah 7, 14, he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah goes on in, in verse, uh, chapter 9, 6 and 7, and says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. And he closes by saying, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, zeal is just another word for excitement, for enthusiasm. It's God's enthusiasm for his people that he says, I will save them. And, and in doing so, God is there to fix this broken world, and he's a cheerful giver. And he enjoys giving to his people because he knows he's the only one that can give in such a way that actually leads to lasting healing for his people and for a broken world. And so he also gives more abundantly and more amazingly than we could ever consider. He gives actually even more than, than we even know is possible, and he gives himself. And so that's, that's what Christmas is. Jesus coming from the throne to earth as a, as a little baby. And so as God is ready to give humanity his greatest gift, he announces this gift giving enthusiastically in kind of three episodes that we're going to look at. Uh, in Luke chapter 1 and, and in uh, Matthew 2, we're going to look at God announcing to Mary her response. We're going to look at God announcing to the shepherds their response. And then God announcing to the wise men uh, and their response. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll start in verse 26 and we'll go through 38. Just going to hear what the Bible has to say about Jesus here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, problem, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So God sends this one-on-one personal messenger to this poor teenage girl named Mary to announce her part in God's gift-giving to his people. And so this isn't just some uh, rookie or junior varsity angel either. This is Gabriel. He's one of two angels named in the whole Bible. He actually says earlier in Luke 1 that he stands in the presence of God. Pretty cool place to be. So God tells Gabriel directly, here's what you're going to tell Mary about what is about to happen to her. And in sending Gabriel, God wants to make sure that nothing's kind of lost in the mail as Mary starts having changes happening to her body, starts wondering what's going on. He doesn't want her to be confused and scared, right? And so what I love as well is that um, the Bible doesn't spare any details here, right? It actually says... Three separate times, including Mary saying herself, that she is a virgin. And so the angel says to her, Gabriel tells her, a miracle, Mary, the miracle of a virgin giving birth to a savior king is happening to you, Mary. It's happening through you. You're going to name him Jesus, which means God saves. So don't be afraid, Mary. God is going to be with you. So while God is giving this gift that's going to bless the entire world for Mary's life as a teenage pregnant girl, her life is going to be very complicated and very difficult. She's going to have difficult conversations with her parents, with, with the man who she's uh, engaged or betrothed to be, to be married to, to Joseph, to her town. There's probably going to be some rumors and gossip about her. People are going to be talking behind her back on Facebook, right? It's going to be tough for Mary. And through all of that, through all this inconvenience, God says, I'm with you. And in doing so, he sent, like I said, this one-on-one messenger to tell this fragile young gal, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how difficult things may seem, I'm with you. And I'm bigger than your individual circumstances, no matter how painful they may be. God is there. That is incredibly should be incredibly comforting to us. See, sometimes God's enthusiastic giving can lead to temporary challenges for us or temporary inconveniences for us. And we just have to to rest knowing that God uh, is with us. And so Mary responds 
to this angel with willingness because she says that she's God's servant. And what's great is it's more than just kind of basic, yeah, fine, I guess I'll do that because God told me to. As she processes God's gift, as she starts to think about what's going to be happening to her and and with her and and through her, um, she's with her relative Elizabeth, it says, uh, she writes a song. And so we, we see that. If you would go to Luke 1, verse 46, she writes this, this, this song to, to God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed or, or full of grace. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So Mary's response to God's enthusiastic giving is she rejoices. And it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's God is her Savior. She is blessed because ultimately she is going to be saved by God. God's going to give enthusiastically to the poor Conversely, he's going to humble the proud. The world's going to get better because of what God's doing. And it's been his plan from the beginning. And so in the middle of unexpected pregnancy, of teen relationship drama with Joseph, right? You know, things are a little awkward amidst all of that. She sings to God. And honestly, that is why... Wonder why do people sing in church? Why do we get together and sing songs? And it's because Mary, she didn't have any money she could give. She didn't even really have much service she could give her skills, but she had a voice. She had a heart that was overflowed with joy that led her to write a song. And she sings. That's why we sing on Sundays. So our response to God giving generously can sometimes just be a cheerful attitude, a cheerful heart for what He's doing even in the midst of difficult circumstances. She's inconvenienced for nine months, and then beyond that, she has to be Jesus' mom, God's mom. That probably wasn't an easy job, right? Maybe a little pressure involved there, and through it all, she's singing. I found this incredibly convicting for me uh, this week in particular, uh, because... um, as most of you know, uh, we like to be generous here as a church and, and give outside of ourselves at Christmas time. So we support the Autumn Leaf House. And there's nine uh, single moms um, with their kids that we have said that we are going to support and bless over Christmas time. Right? And so um, we, we kind of spread that out around the road groups and said, all right, each group, why don't you guys take a family? Um, and through a, a clerical kind of administrative error, uh, it got to the delivery date, which was on Wednesday. And one of the groups, one of the families had nothing. And so there's nine families in this house, and one of them is going to receive nothing. And I'm a little frustrated as I'm hearing about this. I even sent like kind of a nasty text message to the person that's telling me that they kind of dropped the ball. Um, and, and so, all right, you know, we are not going to let this happen. This, this, this gal is not going to go empty-handed in her family at Christmas time. So during my, my sermon prep time, I, I leave, I go to Kohl's, and I spend 90 minutes kind of wandering around with a cart with just a scowl on my face, right? I am not 
a cheerful giver. <laughs> and, and, and it's really frustrating because I'm thinking to myself, wow, here's this family that would receive nothing on Christmas except for through this action, and the whole time I'm upset about it because I, I'm inconvenienced for 90 minutes. It seemed pretty petty. I'm like, and this is cutting into my sermon prep time. I'm like, well, if it cut into my sermon prep time, I'll at least share the story during my sermon um, so it kind of makes up for it, right? But I came back to this text, and I see Mary who's singing in the midst of great difficulty. And I'm like, my response is not the same. Very challenging to me. And so I ended up sending a message to the person that I was angry with and, and apologized and asked for forgiveness and said I was wronged on how I reacted. And by God's grace, this, this family has an abundance at Christmas time, and I'm excited that we got to do that. So we're going to see here that things are going to get a little more challenging for Mary as she nears the end of her pregnancy and is getting ready to give birth. So let's, let's keep going with the story here. Luke chapter 2, and skip ahead. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is pretty famous, right? Uh, Linus usually says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was governor uh, of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So we get to meet Caesar now, right? Caesar, like most politicians, was enthusiastic, not about giving, but about what he could take from his people, right? So he is giving a census so he can count all the people in the Roman Empire, including the people of Israel, to figure out how much money he could take from them. And yet God redeems Caesar's greed by using it as a way to get this family, Mary, Joseph, uh, and the, the preborn baby Jesus, uh, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Because that fulfilled another prophecy about where this Savior King was going to come from. And so I looked at a map, and Nazareth and Bethlehem are kind of two nowhere towns in Israel, but they're 80 miles apart across rugged terrain, and they have a one-week 80-mile road trip on the back of a donkey when, when Mary's nine months pregnant. And I'm sure it was a blast, as anybody who's taken a road trip with a pregnant woman can attest. I'm sure it was awesome, right? My wife and I took one through Texas and a protege, and she wasn't too happy about it. I can't imagine that uh, Mary on a donkey was having a great time. And, you know, but Joseph's like, we're going to get there. We're going to make it. We'll be on time. I'm sure he probably even pushed the schedule a little bit, right? And then Joseph, like a lot of guys, assumed that he didn't need any reservations. So they get into uh, Bethlehem, and, and there is no place for them. And so it, 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 famously, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Savior King of the world, is literally born in a barn, or outside, or in a cave, someplace not fantastic, okay? So that's what happens. Jesus is born. It's exciting. And so God... It's Jesus' birthday, and he's now ready to make a great birth announcement. For the first time, he's going to tell somebody outside of Mary's family about what is going to happen here, or what has happened here. And so we read on in Luke uh, 2, uh, verses um, 8 through 14, as God announces to the shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day, that sounds familiar, right? In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praised God and saying, Glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here we are, while the baby Jesus is sleeping in a manger, in some fields outside of Bethlehem, an angel of the Lord is preaching the gospel to these poor guys. You got to know, shepherds now, then, not a great job. These guys are so marginalized in their society that they can't even give legal testimony in a court of law. And yet this is who God chooses to share the good news, the birth announcement of his son, Jesus, coming to the world. And so these guys are out mining their field kind of on their own, and then they see an angel, and they are rightly terrified. Right? I don't know if you ever go camping, but like if there's like one squirrel near my tent, I'm freaking out. Right? This is an angel appearing out of nowhere. And the first thing he says is, whoa, hold it, guys. Relax. I, hear, I come to bring good news. There's peace. There's peace between God and between people through what Jesus is about to do, through Jesus. And what's beautiful about that is God then accentuates the point by sending, it says, a host of angels, which is a military term, which means there is an army of angel warriors there singing about how glorious God is. And in, in, in sending this to these guys, in sending this, this um, heavenly army, God is telling these shepherds, who societally are kind of under oppression economically. They're under oppression from the Roman Empire. And God sends an army to declare peace. And in doing so, he's saying, I'm bigger than the society that has marginalized you. I am bigger than the government that is oppressing you, whether it's in Jerusalem or whether it's in Rome. I'm bigger than that because I have an impressive army that is here to to have victory over Satan, sin, and death. That's good news. And so we get to see the the shepherd's response in 15 through 20 in chapter 2. When the angels went away from them into heavens, the shepherds said to to one another, "Um, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Hey, by the way, the only reason we're here is because an angel army came and told us. Okay, so they're they're sharing the good news. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Like, Like I said, these guys are not normally very trustworthy, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told to them. I think that the shepherd's response to the good news of the gospel should be an awesome model for us. Because honestly, the good news of the gospel with the shepherds started with fear. They see just a sliver of the glory of God through an angel, and they are rightly terrified. And 
I think we should have an understanding that if God is going to give enthusiastically, we should be a little scared because our world's going to change. The normal things of life are going to be a little bit different now and for eternity. And so their response to God's fear is to finally hear the good news. Okay, it's going to be safe. God, God's here for peace this time. And their response is to then run to Jesus, to seek Jesus, to find Jesus. And when they do, they tell of the glories of God. They worship Jesus. They have their moment meeting Jesus for the first time. And then they go back to work. There are still sheep to tend. There's still work to be done. The normal routine of their mundane lives is going to continue. God hasn't saved them from their circumstances yet. But doing so, it says, they glorified God and spread the testimony of the good news of the gospel to everyone. They're going about the daily routine of their life, and every person they come in contact, like, hey, I like one of those sheep over there. Oh, that's cool. You know what? This sheep's special? It saw an angel. Let me tell you all about it. And then they just kind of tell the whole story of Jesus. Or when, or, or, or when they have a new shepherd that kind of comes on staff, right? And um, that was a shepherd joke. With, okay, anyway. Um, so when a new shepherd kind of comes on, right, they're like, so anything cool happen out here in the nighttime? What do you guys do to pass the time? Well, there was that one night when an angel came, and then a whole angel army came. They're just doing their life, doing their job, but with their voice, with their mouth, with their life, they're proclaiming the glories of God. See, Mary didn't have anything she could give God but her song. The shepherds financially aren't any better off than Mary, but they can tell people their testimony of who God is and what he's doing. They can share with those around them, everybody they come in contact with. That's, that's a model for us. So that through good days and bad days and good governments and bad governments and, and whether your team's winning, whether your team's losing, whatever it is, we can always rejoice in a God who offers us peace to a world and individuals who are in conflict. That's good news. So the shepherds, uh, like I said, they don't have any money, but they joyfully share the gospel with all they encounter. All right, so we, we got Mary and Joseph, we got the shepherds, now we're going to meet the, the wise men. So if you would, you can turn your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to see God's ready to announce to, to the wise men, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 8. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod heard, sorry, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Last year, we preached a whole sermon on, on evil King Herod. So you need to know that Herod wasn't there or didn't want to worship Jesus. He actually wanted to kill Jesus. But the shepherds, uh, they, they go anyway. And, and so God shares this good news of Jesus 
like I said, in three ways. One of them, he, he shares it to a young couple one-on-one through an angel. That's pretty impressive. He shares it with these shepherds, with an angel, and a whole heavenly uh, army behind them. And so here we are. God's ready to make this grand birth announcement. And uh, he's ready to make this grand birth announcement to the king of Israel and to leaders uh, from around the world. He says, okay, if you're not going to be impressed with an angel, if you're not going to be impressed with an army, I'm going to go ahead. I'm God, creator of the universe. I'm just going to make a new star. Boom. Right? That is impressive. Giving a, a star to someone is amazing. Now, if you give someone star registry as a gift and saying, I've named a star for you, that is a lame gift. Okay, making a star, that is a really cool gift, right? And so in doing so, he's telling King Herod that your, your puny little kingdom is nothing. He's telling the rulers of the world that their kingdoms are small and insignificant compared to God, who is bigger than the entire universe. He said, you may be a doubter. You may think science disproves my existence or or something of that nature. Boom, here's a star you can't explain. I made it. That's powerful. I love you individually. I love you as a people, and I'm the creator of the entire universe. That's huge. And so the shepherds respond. We see in verse 9 through 12, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So these wise men, these world leaders from outside of Israel, have literally spent years studying the stars. They've spent months traveling to Israel, to Jerusalem, and now they're just a day or so away, and they come in to this town of Bethlehem. It is this royal procession of, of camels and, and chariots and all these things rolling in to this tiny little town, which had to have been overwhelming for the town. But for the wise men, it had to be even a little different because they've been searching for a king, and what they find is an 18-month-old or a 2-year-old child in a lower-class, working-class, blue-collar home, they had to have been a, a little underwhelmed. At least I would have been. And yet, the shepherds, excuse me, the wise men, have so much faith in who God is, what He said about this child, that it says that they, they go to Him with great joy. And so, what's awesome is that they fall down and they worship this unpotty trained toddler Jesus because he's the king. And then it says they rejoice. And they rejoice differently. Mary sings a song. The shepherds share their testimony. The wise men come and they share, it says, by opening their treasure. That's amazing. Right? Anybody can sing. Anybody can share their testimony. We don't. We should. These guys open up their treasure, the most valuable things they have, and they give. Sam often says 
that the hardest thing, for, sorry, the, the easiest thing, rather, for us to do is to write a check sometimes. And, and, and I want to disagree a little bit. That, that can be for us. But honestly, I think for most of us, the hardest thing to do is to actually write a check and assign worth to God with our finances in any way, shape, or form. See, we, we show worship by giving and spending on things that we think have value, and yet we are so miserly in our giving or our rejoicing to a God who's given so generously to us. Our response is to rejoice in our giving. And what is, is interesting or, or, or useful for us as well, that the wise men's gifts have a greater significance than just the wise men were generous. We should all be generous. But their gifts are specific. It doesn't just say that he gave them some money or wrote a check. They give, they're thoughtful givers. They give gifts that have significance. It says that they gave Jesus gold. And in doing so, they are acknowledging the fact that Jesus is a king, the king, who tribute is owed. That's a powerful statement for guys who are under authority of kings themselves. And then they give frankincense, which is a, a perfume or an incense that is, was used at that time for priests in religious ceremonies. It's very valuable, but it's also um, very spiritual for them and very significant. And what they are saying is that, yes, there is a gap between a holy and just God and a broken and sinful people, and there has to be a priest that will stand in the gap and pull God and people together. And so they're saying Jesus is that high priest that can stand in the place of God and stand in the place of humanity and bring us peace with God. It's beautiful. Jesus is our high priest. And the last gift they give is myrrh. If you don't know what myrrh is, it is a burial preservative. Okay, That is an odd gift to give a toddler. I don't know when the last time you were at a baby shower was, but I don't, I don't go to those. Um, but my wife does. I don't think any of them have been given formaldehyde as a gift. Like, hi, here's your baby. We know it's going to die someday, so here's a gift for when it's buried. Right? We don't think that way. But in giving that gift, the wise men are saying, yes, Jesus is a king. Yes, Jesus is that high priest who will stand in the gap. And how he will do that is he will be a sacrifice for us. That he will die on the cross in our place for our sins. And what I think is amazing about that is, is we use the wise men as, as an example of, of gift giving at Christmas time. And yet the first true Christmas gifts given, like I said, acknowledge Jesus as king, acknowledge him as high priest, but they point not to Christmas but to Good Friday and to Easter. And they say, yes, it's great that God has come down off his throne, that he has incarnated in the the form of a baby in, in, in Israel, that he's living this life. But ultimately, the purpose that he is coming for is to die, is to be that sacrifice for our sins, for the sins of the world, for my sins, for your sins. That is powerful. If we stop at Christmas with baby Jesus and don't consider the man who lived 33 years and goes up to the cross, we've missed the point of Christmas. And so we see Jesus gives. 
Jesus gives as an enthusiastic giver when he goes to the cross. That's an odd thing to consider, but, but Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. Jesus goes to the cross willingly, joyfully, because he knows in the end it's going to mean salvation for you and for me. He gives enthusiastically because he knows at the end there's going to be some healing. There's going to be glorious. People are seated around his throne and that we are singing glory, glory is the Lord God Almighty. That is good news. Jesus giving is good news. And so he lives the perfect sinless life that we don't in our place. He dies the death we deserve on the cross for our sins. And he rises again out of the tomb. Easter, right? And he does so so that we can have new life through him. God gives enthusiastically and our response should be to rejoice. And yet we don't. And I'm so convicted or so so challenging to me personally, like I said, going through this story. Because as I see Mary and Joseph, as I see the shepherds, as I see the wise men, and how they respond to God's enthusiastic giving... I'm just convicted because my worship and and my giving and my devotion to Jesus is put to shame by these people. See, I love Jesus. I try to serve Jesus. I have value in Jesus, but honestly, I think for myself and maybe even for, for us as well, that a lot of that has to do with what he's done for us. He's forgiven me of so much sin. He's changed my life and, and put it on a course that's dramatically different than the one that I was headed on. And so I, I praise God for what he's done and what he's doing for me. Or maybe some of us are, are, are just, you know, hey, I, I just love God because he gives me health or I want health. Or he's given me some, some wealth or some possessions or I want that. And so that's why we worship God. Or maybe we're extra spiritual and we're just like, yeah, I love God because he's forgiven me of sin. Or I just can't wait for heaven where there's no more death, no more suffering, no more brokenness, and no more tears. We love God for what he can do for us. And yet, for Mary, for the shepherds, and for the wise men, They praise and glorify and kneel and give to Jesus just because of who he is. Jesus hasn't done anything for them. He hasn't saved them from sin. He hasn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't risen to give them new life. He hasn't given them health or wealth or prosperity. If anything, all he's done is given them inconvenience and challenge to their world. And yet they praise Jesus because for them, Jesus is enough. I pray for each one of us that Jesus would be enough for us. And that we should rejoice even more than, the, than Mary, than Joseph, than the wise men, than the shepherds. Because we get to see the end of the story. All they had was Christmas. We get Good Friday and Easter. We get to look back. God's done so much for us. And now, today, on Christmas, is our time to respond and to rejoice. And so, we are going to rejoice in God's enthusiastic gift of Jesus. And we're going to do so like Mary. We're going to stand up and we are going to sing. We're going to sing like Mary.
because of a God who loves us individually and enthusiastically. And we're going to praise God like the shepherds. We're going to tell everyone we know over Christmas, over whenever, who Jesus is and what he's done and why we are excited. And we're going to come forward and we're going to take communion. We're going to take the cup signifying Jesus' blood, the bread signifying his broken body, and we are going to remember that Jesus gave us the greatest gift. He gave himself to us. And that that is a good and glorious thing. And then we're going to respond like the wise men. And we're going to open our treasures in tribute to our king, who is our priest, because he was a sacrifice.